Welcome to the 830 service this morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. We appreciate your attendance. Uh, we, uh, one of those things we're having to do again. We appreciate you uh, cooperating with us. And we know we'll have a worship service this morning. And it's so good to see the people that are here. So at this time, uh, let's go to prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the beautiful morning you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity we have to assemble this morning. We look forward to Sunday morning when we can worship together as this morning at 8.30. Pray for the 10.30 worship as well. Father, we pray that we can grow spiritually from being here today. Pray for Brother Ken as he brings a lesson to us. We pray, Father, that we can be very much attentive and help to apply it to our lives that we can live a better Christian life. And Father, we just pray for all the people that we go through this wave of virus again. We pray that it will pass quickly and we all can stay safe from it. And Father, we pray as we enter this service that we can do so in a way that will be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First song this morning, number 144. Let's <clears throat> all sing together. Oh, worship the Psalm before opening prayer, number 827. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour.
Will you bow with me? Dear Father in heaven above, thank you for another beautiful day on your earth, Lord. And just thank you for all waking us all up this morning, Lord, to come worship you. And just thank you for letting us all gather here safely, Lord. And just please let us take something we hear today from the lesson, Lord, and just apply it to our lives and work to better ourselves for you, Lord. Just please be with all those that are sick of the number, Lord, and just please help them any way you will. And just please be with our country right now in the middle of this COVID crisis, Lord, and just help good decisions be made and just put your healing hand over our nation, please, Lord. And just thank you above all for sending your son, Jesus, down on the cross for the remission of our sins. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's like the Mark Demitation Psalm, number 927. 
Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, and this is acceptable with God. Good morning, everybody. It sure is good to see you this morning. Well, here we are again. Divided services, 8.30, masks, 10.30, optional. I am so tired of that, aren't you? But here we are again because this virus has flared up. And of course, I guess it's only natural to be concerned with something that affects seemingly so many people, not just here in our region, but really all over the world. I have been doing Zoom classes in South Africa this past week, and they have been in lockdown because of the virus. Halfway around the world, they're affected by it just like we are. And I guess we should be thankful in their case they also have curfews. They can't be out at certain times during the day or night. And it's just amazing the reaction that has been made to this virus. And it has been going on now for well over a year. So there was the virus. People were afraid, put on masks, hide away at home. Please, oh please, oh please, come up with a vaccine. Well, they've developed vaccines. And again, not just for our region or this country, but those vaccines are to one degree or another available all over the world. And then we find out, even with a vaccine, the new, new variants Maybe the vaccine will protect you. Maybe it won't. Isn't that frustrating? Here's something I don't hear very much. So I'm going to go ahead and say it. And I'm sure others have said it before me, but it just, it just amazes me. Here is something that affects the whole world. In many cases, has resulted in death. We cry out for a remedy. We get a man-made remedy that isn't even 100% effective. And we don't even know if it'll work for sure. All the world also has been facing a kind of pandemic. It's been around from the very foundation. When sin first entered into the world, it reared its ugly head and it's still here sin. Here's the condemnation. You sin, you die. Well, unfortunately, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the wages of sin is death. Wish we had a vaccine for that, don't you? <laughs> and we do. 
It is Jesus and obedience to his gospel. Look, as much as we talk about the virus, there is nothing more serious that faces men than sin. And you and I, we don't have a vaccine that is partially effective. The blood of Jesus is 100% effective in washing away sins. Our greatest concern ought to be the welfare of mankind, not from the standpoint of the virus, because viruses come and go, but from the standpoint of the one enemy that still remains, and that is sin itself. So I hope as much as you maybe fear, maybe you do, contracting the virus and all that, I hope above everything else, not only do you have a healthy fear of sin, but that you've taken the remedy that's freely offered and that you've had your sins washed away. Today, we're going to talk about what it is to be a servant of God. Now, we just sang a song, I Surrender All. I love that song. It's got a great melody to it, beautiful harmonies. A terrific message. But do you understand what it means to surrender all as a servant of Jesus Christ? Today we're going to talk about what that kind of surrender looks like in our interaction with other people and in our recognition of authorities that are in our lives. The idea of submission and of respect and how that Jesus handled himself, and then by virtue of his example, how we are to handle ourselves. Before we start, let's pray to God together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to be together, to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray, Father, that our hearts and our minds are on that this morning that we've offered something to you that is truly acceptable. And now I pray, Father, that you will help us to concentrate on your word and the power of its message. Help us, Father, to be submissive. Help us to be respectful. Help us in every way to surrender all as Jesus did. To be an example in this world that is rare that when people see us and the way that we interact with others, that they will see Jesus in effect in our lives. And that as a result of that, I pray that difference will rub off on them. And that as we have found you, perhaps we can lead them to you too. Help us, Lord, to maintain a submissive disposition to provide a commendable service and to embody the traits of Jesus himself. Thank you for the blessing of your word. Help me to communicate it and help our hearers today to be able to receive it and to worship through it in your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter, just one of the inspired writers of the New Testament scriptures. 
an apostle of Jesus Christ and the recipient in his own life of much suffering due to his stand with Jesus. In 1 Peter, the text from which we read this morning, Peter reminds believers, Christians, those who wear the name of Jesus Christ, that they ought to have a mindset of courage. That regardless of what they face as they're trying to be Christ-like, regardless of whether they are oppressed, mistreated, ill-treated by those who are in positions of authority over them, that they are to maintain that Christ-like disposition no matter what. The promise is that if we will do that, we'll be faithful to our task as servants of the Lord, despite the difficult things that we face, that God will bless us. He'll empower, we can have courage, we can have success. The only part of that equation that has the potential for failure is, is our part. If we don't lay hold of what God's put in our hands, we don't have courage if we become afraid. In that setting, especially, he's looking at the relationship between a master and servant, but every relationship that we have really reflects what's being described here. So what I want to know is, really, exactly as a Christian, how am I expected to act? What should my behavior look like as a servant of God? Well, I'll say in the first place that a servant of God maintains a submissive disposition. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Oh, the first part would have been okay. Servant, be submissive to your master when he's good to you. <laughs> I can do that. You know, it's natural. Someone's good to you. You can't help but have good feelings toward them, no matter their relationship. If they're friendly and kind, if they're looking out for your welfare, absolutely. I, I can be kind. I can smile, uh, no matter their position. But what if they're not good and gentle? What if they're harsh? My natural response to pain, my response to harshness, of unkindness, natural response is to give back as much or more than I received. Someone's unkind to us, natural response would be, well, give it back to them. How dare they treat me that way? Peter says, for the child of God, there's a different attitude in play right here. One that is ultimately to bring about victory and success. It is not a response in kind, but actually a response, he says, of submissiveness. 
being submissive or, or having a, a right view of the authority that is above me to have respect for the person who is in control of my particular situation. Peter wasn't the only one who talked that way. In fact, Peter is saying it kind of in short form with an expression dealing with suffering of their time. It's just the response to suffering. In fact, in this short little book, at least 16 different times the idea is expressed in one way or another about suffering. So when you suffer, when you're put in a condition where you hurt, you want to kick back. You want to hurt back. He says, don't do that. Be submissive in those circumstances because our ultimate goal is to shine for Jesus. Paul spoke that way too. Now, there are several texts, in fact. I mean, he spread it around seemingly wherever he went, both to congregations of people and even to individuals. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5, 6, and 7, Paul says, well, as regards this same situation, the master and the servant orientation, he said, now, when you're serving, don't serve as what he calls a men pleaser with eye service. In other words, when you serve men, don't serve them only when they're watching you and aware of what you are doing. Don't serve only when you see the camera is on you. You'd be certain that you serve, not, not just to please men, but here's how he describes it. Because we are servants of Jesus, we serve not as though we are serving the man. We serve as to the Lord. Now, that same almost word-for-word admonition is also found in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 22 to 25. Paul also expresses very same concept, 1 Timothy chapter 6, the first three verses. He also expresses it in the book of Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The whole idea of being a servant accountable to someone else. I don't rise up and I don't demand my rights. What I do is, well, two things that are interwoven. I demonstrate submission because they are the authority. And I demonstrate respect for the authority that they hold. Submission and respect. I was thinking, as maybe you are thinking, of all the situations in life where there is that relative relationship. I see it here very clearly because he uses the words of a master and a servant. Someone who is in the position of authority and the person who is subjected to that. He said, be submissive in that relationship. Honor, respect. You say, well, now he also talked about there are some circumstances where the person does well, they treat them right. There are some circumstances where they treat them awful. He says, okay, you still submit. In other words, it isn't necessarily a respect for the person themselves, especially if their attitude's a bad one, but what you are doing in this relationship is respecting, submitting to the authority that they hold over you. And as you are doing that, you are demonstrating your Christ-likeness. 
Now, what would some of those situations be? The obvious one being master and servant. Well, that would also be true like for us in, in a church setting. The body being subject to or respecting those who are in authority over us in this body, the, the elders in particular. In fact, many scriptures teach just directly that, to honor and to respect those who are in authority over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. I love that. That's true also in our relationship and our families. It's true of the wife in her submission to the husband as the head of the wife. It is true in terms of the children and their submission to the parents who rule and watch over them. They're to obey their parents in the Lord for this is right. It's true in the secular world. It's true of a student who is under the authority of a teacher in a school classroom. It's even true of our relationship as citizens in a country. We submit ourselves under the authority. We have respect for the authority that governs us. And you say, well, now, Ken, we, we have people on occasion who are not very good rulers. In fact, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty common. People joke about the fact that those who are in positions of authority are so inept at what they do. Hey, that is society. You think that what Peter was dealing with here was very much different from what we face here? Actually, I would say, yeah, it is very much different <laughs> because it was worse. The point of Peter's encouragement for the child of God, the Christian, the one who wears the name of Christ, is to have a demeanor of submission and of respect, not for the character, not for the behavior of the person who is over us, but in a respect for the authority, the position that they hold. Be submissive. I'm also intrigued by the fact that if you and I, we're going to be servants of God, that we are instructed here in this text to provide a commendable service, a commendable service. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But if you do good and suffer and you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. I always thought that that word commendable, which is used there several times, it, I don't know, it seems kind of strange in there. It's like, you know, you, you're hanging in there, Ken. You're to be commended for that. <laughs> that, that. That's really not the idea. It's not like you do this, you know, you get the pat on the back. Way to go. Way to hang in there. Boy, I wish I were more like you. That, that's not the idea. Actually, the word that's translated commendable a couple of times here in this text comes from a word that when I mention it to you, you're going to say, Ken, that's, that's one of our words. You know, like if I said love, for instance, you say, that's our word. That's, that's a Christian word. If I said faith, you'd say, that's our word. How about this word? How about the word grace? That's our word too. 
Commendable, here this text is actually translated from the word charis, which oftentimes is translated by that word grace. Or you might use it in its various forms, the idea of gracious. So what Peter is trying to communicate to us here is that, okay, what you've decided to do in your submissiveness as a servant of God is you have determined that whether or not you're treated the right way or you are treated harshly, you're treated the wrong way, that you are going to offer that submission no matter what. You are going to respect their authority and you are going to respect them in the position that they hold. You are going to submit. Even though maybe your natural inclination would be not to do that, you're going to do it anyway. And here's why. Because whether they treat you right or not, you are extending your grace to them because otherwise, especially as they are treating you ill, they're doing so out of ignorance. If only they knew better. If only the circumstances were right that they could do better, they most surely would. So since that's lacking in this moment and you're being treated harshly, God looks favorably upon you that you extend this grace to them anyway even in their ignorance. That might ring a bell with you. I don't know. Because when I read this, as this so much pertains to Jesus, because He is our example, I could not help but think of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. A pretty famous prayer of Jesus. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. Now catch that. The, supp the supposition here is if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't be doing it. If they knew, if they believed that they were putting the Son of God, the one who'd come to save them, if they knew that they were putting him on this cross, they would not have done that. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Ignorance. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Look, Jesus says, you, you are not alone in this. There are plenty ignorant people in the world who will persecute and revile you and say all kinds of evil things against you. But they're not really saying that to you. They're saying it to you simply because you represent me. You're speaking for me. When I was here, they treated me the same way. And before I got here, they treated the prophets the same way. How many prophets could we list who were abused by the very people that they tried to save? So how should I act? 
Well, later in that very same text from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us what to do. Beginning at verse 43, he said, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Most people are not perfect in this sense. Most people want to respond to the negative and the harshness of this world with more negativity and more harshness. Jesus said, don't do that. Love those people who, even in positions of authority, are treating you harshly. Because to do so is to offer up not a partial kind of love, which is that love that responds in kind, but to have that special kind of love. The kind of love that sets us apart as Christians. The kind of love that is extended even when we don't get it back. Maybe we get hatred back. No matter, the child of God is going to respond with love for his enemy. That requires a specific kind of change of mind and heart, doesn't it? In fact, as we see, since it's natural to respond in kind, we have to have a complete mental makeover as a result of our relationship with Jesus. And Paul even had to remind Christians at times that that is necessary. In Romans chapter 12, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And here it is, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because if you don't have that change of mind and heart, you're not going to prove anything except what everybody else already knows, that in-kind response. No, sir, we're going to be perfect like God is perfect. So much so that in his concluding remark in verse 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So you say, okay, hey, Ken, that sounds, that sounds good. All right, I'll be submissive and I'll suffer. And then, you know, when people suffer, uh, whatever that suffering is, I'm going to be blessed. Is that what this text is saying? Look, I suffer all kinds of... Hold on there. All suffering is not equal, according to this text. It isn't just any kind of suffering. For instance... You know, child of God might have surgery, they suffer. You say, oh, God's going to bless. God may bless, but he's not blessing as a result of your suffering. Your suffering has not prompted God to look favorably on you. You suffer because, I don't know, your taxes are high. You say, God is going to stop. That's not what this text is talking about. It isn't the idea of anybody and everybody who suffers, just kind of a one-stop shop. If you suffer, come on in here. God will bless if you'll tolerate it. That's not, that's not it at all. The idea is that if I suffer in my attempt 
to be Christ-like in this world. The kickback that I receive as a result of that. You say, well, Ken, you already mentioned that we are under all kinds of authorities. Yeah, we are. But what if I get negative kickback because I'm a Christian because, say, of the employer that I have? Or I get a negative kickback because I'm a Christian even from a parent? Or maybe it is that, you know, I'm in the school system and the teacher is very much against Christianity. They find out I'm a Christian and they abuse me scholastically somehow. They just, they just oppress me in every way. Maybe the government cracks down on me because I'm a Christian. They take away my Christian privileges. I'm suffering as a Christian. He says, if you suffer in this way, in that way, it is commendable. You're extending a grace to those who are, in fact, ignorant of what they do. Because if they realized who they were messing with, and the fallout that comes in standing against God, they never would have approached it. Because, however, you stand there in the gap for Jesus, then you are blessed. I love what he later says in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. You suffer as a Christian because, like Jesus, you have determined, no matter who has authority over you, to be submissive, and to be respectful. But also, if, if you're a servant of God, you're going to emulate a lofty example. When I say lofty, I mean a high one. The high ideal. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow His steps. Who committed no sin, no was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you're like sheep going astray, but have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Sheep going astray, yeah, you were dead in sin. Returning to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Yes, being restored, having our souls restored through forgiveness to a life of righteousness. Commitment to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who is the high and lofty standard that we ought to be emulating. You say, Jesus? <laughs> I mean, it, that was Jesus that, you know, went through a fake trial all set up, and he was scourged and nailed on the cross. Ken, seriously? I got to follow that example? Well, you know, the scriptures talk about us taking up our cross daily and following him, Luke 9, 23. I, that part, but no, no I, I, I get it. Sometimes we look at Jesus and he's our great example. He's what we aspire to, but in our mind, we have the idea you know, can, I'm, I'm climbing that ladder to Jesus day by day. And so there are going to be these moments in my life when 
I just, you know, I don't measure up. Maybe I'm not submissive as I ought to be. I don't respect the authority. I don't, I don't have the depth of commitment that Jesus clearly had for me. And, you know, I struggle. I ask forgiveness. Okay, peace. I, I get that. But Jesus isn't the only one that's subscribed to this way of thinking. Hebrews 11 uh, catalogs many who did. Verse 32, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Therefore, seeing we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So that whole list, there are names in there probably some of us don't even recognize. And then descriptions of stories that we're not sure if that's this one or that one, but actually the story is all the same. Here are examples of people just like you and me who had their own failings. But what they did do in their time and in their place is hold on to faith in God. They remained a servant of God no matter what. Did they oftentimes live in oppressive situations? You better believe it. In fact, many of them died because of those oppressive situations. Whether that was a government that was corrupt or a religious system that was corrupt. Regardless of what the oppressor was, they remained submissive, they remained um, respectful, but they never let go of their faith. And that faith carried them through the trials and tribulations of their experience so that in the end, they could give glory and honor to the one that they served. Are you a servant of God? If you are a servant of God, you ought to be filled with courage that despite what oppression you may feel in the moment, whether, whether it's the, the oppression of a pandemic, a virus, whether, whether it is a political oppression that you feel or religious oppression or just the oppression of, of an employer or, or a teacher, somebody in, in a place over you. Remember, despite all of that, the one you serve. 
and of the image that you are to portray. And if Jesus could suffer as he did and die on the cross for me, what injustice can I not endure in order to bring glory and honor to him? Have courage. Live for Jesus in every circumstance. And know that God will ultimately give us victory. The only reason we wouldn't have victory is because somehow or other we have failed to do our part. If you're a child of God today and you need to be encouraged and restored, then I encourage you to come forward. If you're not a child of God today, you need to obey the gospel to have your sins washed away. Become a part of something that is greater than any fear may come over you. Submitting ourselves to God is the ultimate act of submission and respect. If there's anybody here who needs to respond for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand and sing together? I keep Jesus Lord's Supper, we'll sing the first and second verse in the 382.
Supper emblem, if you'd raise your hand, someone will assist you this time. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for their remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Would you bow with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for this bread that we have before us that represents Christ's body that he gave on that cruel death on the cross for sinners like us. I ask to we, as we partake of it, that we do so in a way that's pleasing unto thee. Christ's name I pray. Amen. Would you bow with me? Lord, we also thank you for this cup, which represents Christ's blood that he also shed on that cross. I ask as we do so that we be in the right mindset as we partake of this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. also commanded to give back a portion of what is ours. There are several ways set that you can do that. Would you bow with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for all the blessings that we've received while we're here on this earth. We thank you for all that you've done for us and all that we know that you can do for us as long as we 
try to keep you first in our lives and everything that we do. Just help us never to forget that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. morning. Glad all of you are with us this morning. Uh, be mindful of the bulletin there that's in the back of the pew in front of you. There's several on the sick list and the prayers list. One we need to add to that. Dorothy Hester, this is James's mother. She's in a Tupelo hospital. I think plans are she'll be receiving a pacemaker here within the next day or so. I think that's what James was telling us. Uh, also be mindful there at the very bottom of that, uh, the plans are that Bible classes will resume on Sunday, August the 15th, and then again Wednesday on August the 18th. That's all the announcements that I have at this moment. Billy Martin uh, now is going to recognize some folks that will be receiving scholarships, then he will do our closing prayer. Good morning once again. Uh, today we celebrate uh, the scholarship awards uh, to all our college students attending uh, Christian universities. Just want to say thank you for the committee for all that they do of organizing fundraisers. Thank you so much for your generosity in giving towards the scholarship fund. So thankful for all the the vision that the leaders had to establish this endowment years ago, that this made possible today. If you see these uh, students, if you would just congratulate them. And what I'll do is uh, I'll call out their names. And I know some of them may not be here this morning, but I'll just leave the envelopes up here with your scholarship check. And those students receiving scholarships today is Taylor Brazel. Annabeth Worley, Cole Sweeney, and Savannah Martin. Again, congratulate them when uh, you see them today and thank them for their commitment and their dedication to continuing their uh, Christian education. If you would, please uh, stand with me and I'll disclose this in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day, for the opportunity to assemble here today, to hear your lesson, Father, presented by Brother Ken. So thankful for the words that he boldly proclaims, uh, thy word. Father, we pray for all the sick, all those who are hurting in ways maybe we know nothing about. We pray for those who have lost loved ones. And we so thankful for all the caregivers, all those who are assisting to the needs of those who are sick and having treatments father we just want to lift all them up to you today those that were mentioned here that you'll just continue to bless them and their families father we pray that as we go through this week that we will have the heart of a servant we pray father that we will continue to encourage all those and we pray father that one day that we will be the heirs of your promises in christ's name we pray amen <laughs> 